Chapter 3 The General Acceptance of the Generous Assembly Children of the Moon The difference between dreams and reality are as follows. When you sleep, you are at the mercy of your own mind. You, the owner of its creation, produce any thought, right or wrong, cheerful or wicked. But when awake, you're at the mercy of thoughts produced by men. Though reality may begin with the best of intentions, like a dream, it can rapidly fade into a nightmare. And a nightmare given to you by another is far worse than any terrifying image your mind could ever muster. I slept enough to identify the distinction. The Little Town of Rainbow Written by Vincent John and performed by Luke Welland, Natalie Lewis and Cornelius Perry Jr. As the sun began to rise, casting rose-colored sunbeams across the sky, two men with unremarkable faces and emotionless expressions led me through the quiet town of Rainbow. In our trail of wherever they were leading me, I did not see a single person in the streets, let alone through the windows of their houses. Every curtain was drawn shut which I found odd, it being Christmas Day and all. Perhaps the townspeople and their kin saw me as some sort of wicked creature that their bare eyes could not handle such a frightening sight as myself. Even still, both my tour leaders stood quiet and vigilant even though I was chained at hands and feet, barefoot in the snow, with absolutely no chance of escape. Either from paranoia or insanity, I'm sure a combination of both, nine-foot walls enclosed the entire town as guards carrying rifles stood in towers at all four corners. Terrible as the present circumstances were, the thought had occurred this was not the worst thing to happen that morning. Earlier in the day, an old woman, who didn't mutter a sound, swiftly yet violently stripped me of my clothes. For good measure, every now and then she would look at me with a mixture of repulsion and disdain, as if I were a wayward child of hers, recently come home after years of vile living. I didn't have the energy to worry what she thought, however because my head pounded and ears still burned from the night prior. Nonetheless, I did ask, more like croaked for a cup of water. When receiving none, I asked again, though to no avail. The frail woman looked right through me as if dressing a corpse. 
From irritation of being ignored, words just slipped off my tongue. By the looks of it, I do not know who's closer to death, me or you. In retaliation, she caressed my left hand by placing it into her own, looked me in the eyes, smiled, and then broke my index finger with the ease of a child snapping a twig. I made a valiant effort not to release any screams, but such gallantry hardly lasted more than a few seconds. I allowed myself a good, hearty scream filled with pain and terror. After the moment passed, I decided to keep those urges to myself. The old lady then gave me a silk maroon robe, obviously the exact thing one wants in the numbing chill of desert snow. The morning sky now flaunted a vivid blue, which descended in such a way that made this entire peculiar town radiant. Each house and building I passed shined brilliantly with fresh coats of white paint. If not for the copper-colored soil peppered about where snow failed to reach, from a distance you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between earth and town. Be that as it may, I did notice the town was devoid of a bank, a general store, saloon, and a church. Instead, the streets merely aligned with houses and obscure square buildings, the latter of which lacked any windows. Maybe if I weren't shivering so bad that my teeth felt they'd fall out, and maybe if I weren't chained at hand and feet, I would have found this odd. But no, I was prepared for this, prepared for the little town of Rainbow, and what would come next. Yet what I'd find excellent was that they weren't prepared for me, Excluding Rosalind, of course, she spent a lifetime readying herself for the upcoming events. The fellow to my left, noticing the shivering and chattering of teeth, offered his coat. Greatly wishing to decline the apathetic gesture of goodwill, I glared at him with a menacing look of contempt, as if that would have given me even a moment of solace. A minute later, I accepted the stupid jacket. Subsequently, he bowed and grinned, which genuinely terrified me, for both men now had the demeanor of fulfilling a task of sorts, a seemingly serious one. Every couple of yards, they glanced at each other, as if convinced a noble and justified deed they were carrying out. A nasty thought crept in, since he offered me a coat, and since they appear terribly pleased with themselves, and I'm wearing a robe the color of blood. Straight to the gallows were these men's marching orders for me. I sobbed, unabashedly crying big broad tears of despair. Now it was the other guy's turn to display virtue, and I received a slight pat on the back. These pompous, ignorant-looking idiots will hang me, and yet awaited a grateful receipt. I turned and spit in his face, which achieved little, for he didn't even flinch. After my feeble attempts of defiance, the only sound heard was our footsteps in the snow.
in life, you will witness an equal share of horrible, no good, disgustingly unforgettable events. And over time, one grows accustomed to the atrocities of this world. But none are so heinous as death by hanging. To view a human's last moments an anxious struggle with an unavoidable fate, eyes darting back and forth trying to find comfort in the crowd. Anyone who might ease their suffering with a kind smile or a simple nod of understanding and sympathy. Only to find distant, empty eyes staring back at them is truly, and without doubt, humanity at its absolute most abominable. I find it ridiculous how us men of faith worship our Lord who was crucified, then establish laws making such crimes as poaching punishable by death to the very people he came to save. While lawmakers and leaders lament that this is an evil age, but an age will forever mirror its leaders, not its people, for better and often much worse. The man to whom I spit materialized once again, not happy enough to leave me alone in thought during my final minutes on earth, and spoke in a voice strikingly flat. Sir, it forgives you. I know it was an unclean spirit that made you do so, but soon you will be anew. It forgives you. Mouth agape. I could offer nothing more than a slight acknowledgement in his direction. He smiled back not acknowledging the effect his haunting had on me. That strange manner of voice was boiled into my mind, forever to stay there. Something so eloquent deserved to be remembered. Being mesmerized, I didn't realize my body came to a stop as we were at a juncture. A grandiose construction towered in front of us, concrete steps leading to an extensive building comparable with the surviving Greek theaters. Six pillars of marble, accented with gold, stood proud before rainbow-painted doors. Have you ever faced an object and realized you could never move backwards? There is no backtracking. There are no longer times of old. No matter what you did or where you'd go, your life would be counted as two contrasting conjunctions, before and after the event, the encounter, the incident, the ordeal, the experience. I knew then that my former skin would shed to be replaced by something peculiar and different. Nothing worse in this world than people seeing themselves as enlightened, for it covers all matters of sin, doesn't it? On the steps an ancient and frail man who looked made of clay extended his hand, saying, Hello, son. My name is Hector. I am one of the elders here. It is a pleasure to meet you. Turning to my guardians, he spoke less friendly. No need for the cuffs, you damn fools. Let's take them off, shall we? Hector left his hand for me to shake, but I could not muster the effort of pretending he didn't terrify me. I always hated knowing what will take place before it does. If I were of more intelligent mind, 
I would use that ability to quickly gather information to understand the situation before me and make something good. Thinking about it now, however, I realized that would only work if I knew less of the situation and didn't fully understand the meaninglessness of it all. Ignorance is indeed bliss, I suppose. The residue of Hector's genteel grin left traces around his mouth which magnified his ghostly appearance. All the same, his spurious posture of goodwill would continue as I was awarded a thin pat on the back. These people had a peculiar regard for what brought comfort to others. Apparently, caressing backs was one. The two wardens quickly undid my chains, which again seemed all too pleasing, as if performing a show of sorts, and with each growing moment, fear crept in that the cracks of their performance would manifest until the rouse was up. The rouse was up, I reckoned, because after setting me free, the two men clapped and cheered. One of them even whistled. Hector gave a slight bow and opened the two large rainbow doors that led to the building. A joyful noise filled the halls with echoes of men and women celebrating. The place could easily have been mistaken for a house of worship. Beautiful pieces of art hung high in the rafters, and at the end of the long room stood an altar made entirely of gold. Its patrons grew greater as more people filled the room upon my arrival while chanting in a language I've never heard before. It might have been Latin, if Latin was marred with grisly sounds and spoken nonsensical. At the altar, a man with silver hair dressed in a black robe, with rainbow patches on each shoulder, chanted some cryptic phrases while kneeling. The smell of incense was heavy and made a cloud around the room. The strong aromas and boisterous songs of praises made me queasy. I took a step forward, making sure to stumble and then proceeded to fall into one of the pews. For good measure, I put on a show of dazed confusion. A few people helped me to my feet, and one person said, This man is already being made clean. The spirits are fleeing from him. Posing as an ignoramus, I fervently nodded. I smelt these smells before and heard similar songs chanted. I knew what was expected of me. My body began to shake and my fingers twitched as I made my way to the altar, giving them the present every heathen desires most, their righteous holiness. Even if a piece of their minds didn't believe me, there would always be a small part saying to themselves, if we don't believe him, we don't fully believe our teachings. I've been around enough heretics to know their failings, obedience to their charlatan maid. Fake doctrine is near the top. And truthfully, there was a part of me that shook on the inside. I honestly thought these people were going to kill me. But I saw in that moment they wished to save me, which, for what it's worth, was nice of them. The stranger the convulsions I gave, the happier the faces looked back at me. With every twitch, their voices grew louder. At the pinnacle of the lustrous chanting, the silver-haired man at the altar turned around and smiled. The noise from the pews grew quiet, and he spoke in a delicate voice I recognized from the night before. Henrik, you are forgiven, 
as all members of Rainbow are forgiven. Come and set your spirit free. Some placed their hands on me as if I were an idol. Some shouted, You are free! And, You are now clean, Brother Henrik! The old mare and I stared at one another, while the others continued in otherworldly hymns. Everyone had a cheerful spirit about them, besides him. Like his daughter the night prior, he looked firmly upon me as a man would look upon a vile, unpleasant thing. I looked to the floor, giving him his due of respect. Then he pushed me to my knees and placed his hands on my head. Upon your head, now a curse that can only be undone by the most illuminated one. If he sees it fitting, your curse shall end after one month's time, and you shall receive a blessing, but only if he deems it so. With the end of his speech, the congregation clapped. I never heard of a curse turning into a blessing. This must be some newer ideology. The desert seems to do certain things to lunatics and the already crazy. Maybe it is the constant struggle to survive. The grotesque amount of suffering witnessed on a daily basis from animals and humans alike that makes them gravitate to further torment and strife as a pleasureful experience. And though I did not believe in curses, especially done by the feeble-minded, I knew then I was forevermore these people's prisoner. No matter where I moved or what I might accomplish, there was no circumstance of survival after this outcome. It's been hard in America It's been tough feeling safe It's been hard in America I never thought it'd get so bad I wish that I had a big jet plane Fly the tears away Maybe I'd find a river so Drift away all of the pain, but it seems there's more to do, there's more to love we've yet to find. Oh, yeah, it's true, we may stumble through, but all we have is precious time.
This has been The Little Town of Rainbow. New episodes are released weekly and is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like The Little Town of Rainbow, please share with your friends. It helps independent creators to reach an audience and continue to tell stories for free. Thank you.